Hello and goodbye. As much as money talks, we talk about money, too. David Bazelon, writing in the paper Economy, said, Money is a dream. It is a piece of paper on which is imprinted an invisible ink, in invisible ink, the dream of all the things it will buy, all the trinkets and all the power over others, a kind of institutionalized dream, which along with its companion dream of success, constitutes the main fantasy on which our way of life has been built. Somebody has said the reason you can't take your money with you is because it goes before you do. Well, of all the things said about money, it's remarkable to consider how much the Bible has to say about money. There are 700 direct references to money and 2,200 indirect references. Jesus may well have said more about money than any other single theme in his teaching. Why is that? It seems to me that one reason is because money is the God that destroys more lives and damns more people than any other. In Matthew chapter 6, we have part of a sermon that Jesus preached on a hillside near Galilee. In it, he declares the manifesto of his kingdom. He tells us that those who are citizens of that spiritual realm have a different view about life than what is customary, a distinctive view, including their attitude about money. The sum of what Jesus says in the text I'm about to read is this, that money is a curse or a blessing, depending upon one's attitude toward it. Follow along with me as I read in Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, the words of Jesus. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Money is a curse or a blessing depending upon one's attitude toward it. Money itself is amoral. It is neither good nor bad. Its moral value is attributed to it by how it is used. A.M. Sullivan said, there's no such thing as dirty money. The stain is only on the hand that holds it as the giver or taker. The particulars about Jesus' teaching on money can be found in the following statements. First of all, that money presents a choice to us. Money presents a choice. We can use it to lay up treasures for ourselves on earth or in heaven. And the choice that we make has eternal ramifications. 
What is said here does not condemn wealth or possessions, nor does it command poverty of Christians by giving away everything. In fact, it indicates in the scriptures that God is the one who provides us with a measure of money and of possessions in this life. And that having provided them, God then wants us to enjoy them. In 1 Timothy 6 we read, Instruct those, that is, order those who are rich in the present world, not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches but on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of what is life indeed. In those verses, the Apostle Paul tells us exactly how it is that we lay up treasures in heaven. He says it is to do good with our money, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. In doing those things, he says, we will store up for ourselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future. The Bible teaches us that God intends for us to own things. In fact, it extends to us the right of ownership. Although capitalism does have its weaknesses, primarily because of the greed of the human heart, it nonetheless is based upon a sounder biblical principle than socialism. Because it is based upon the idea of ownership, private ownership. John MacArthur writes, both testaments recognize the right to material possessions, including money, land, animals, houses, clothing, and every other thing that is honestly acquired. God has made many promises of material blessing to those who belong to and are faithful to him. The foundational truth that underlies the commandments not to steal or covet is the right of personal property. Stealing and coveting are wrong because what is stolen or coveted rightfully belongs to someone else. So when we talk about being generous and ready to share and rich in good works, we're not denying that God gives us the privilege and the right of ownership of our own property. But what is said is that we are to use what God puts into our hands wisely. We're to make the choice, the right choice, to use our money that so that it will bring us reward in heaven. The warning that Jesus makes here is that if we lay up treasures for ourselves on earth, those treasures will be lost. And it's certainly true that we cannot take them out of this world to the next. Someone has aptly pointed out there are no pockets in shrouds. And so Jesus says, lay up treasures for yourselves in heaven. Which means, says Warren Wiersbe, to hang loose when it comes to the material things of life. Our tendency is to hang tight to them. But hang loose. 
do not hoard or stockpile for selfish purposes what God gives to us. Rather, choose to use it to bless others and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ so that you will be rich toward God because it is what you give away that you send ahead. Now, in the particulars, there's a second statement that I want to make based upon what Jesus says in verse 21. It is this, that money follows the heart. Don DeLozier, a speaker regarding finances, and uh, a man who ministered a number of years ago here to our board, made the statement that verse 21 is the most profound biblical principle regarding money. It says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The point that Jesus is making is that our hearts determines where we put our treasures. If you look to see where your treasure is, that is where your heart is. Money follows the heart. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he, says Proverbs. It is the heart that is the steering wheel of the life. And it determines the direction of the life. Jesus taught that there are two things that expose the direction and the destiny of the heart. What the tongue says and how money is used. Those two things are the barometer of the heart telling us temperature. Those two things expose the atlas of the heart, what road it's traveling and where it's headed. Out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, said Jesus. And here he says that it is the heart that determines where we place our treasures, our money. So to find out where a person is heading, all you have to do is follow the trail of words and money in his life. Regarding verse 21, John MacArthur writes, Jesus goes on to point out that a person's most cherished possessions and his deepest motives and desires are inseparable. They will either both be earthly or both be heavenly. It is impossible to have one on earth and the other in heaven. And so the moral of this is that if the heart is right, everything else in the life will tend to be right. Because every problem is ultimately a problem of the heart. Both generosity and greed come from the heart. Well, I can almost hear someone rationalizing that until my heart is right, I shouldn't give. Until I get my attitude right, I shouldn't give anything. I like what Charles Swindoll said this last week in his program. God loveth a cheerful giver, but he accepteth from grumps, too. The difference is that the cheerful giver gets his reward in heaven, while the grump gains nothing. But it's because of the heart. And so we have to ask ourselves today, where is your heart headed? 
What does the management of your money say regarding your heart? It tells the story. There's a third particular that arises from Jesus' teaching on money that may be summarized in this statement that money threatens the conscience, verses 22 and 23. The parable that Jesus tells of the eye is a warning about the ability of the heart to negotiate right and wrong when there is darkness within. He says if the eye is working properly, then one's body can move safely and with coordination. But if the eye is not working properly, then the whole body is threatened by that condition. Clear or single vision, as Jesus describes it here, enables one's life to discern godly values and thus to keep the life on course. But on the other hand, darkness in the conscience or double vision, that is, with an eye on earth and an eye on heaven, endangers the soul's welfare. Warren Worsby again writes, if our aim in life is to get material gain, it will mean darkness within. But if our outlook is to serve and glorify God, there will be light within. If what should be light is really darkness, then we are being controlled by darkness. And outlook determines outcome. That's a great statement. Outlook determines outcome. The allurement of money and self-indulgence of materialism have wrecked many promising people. By these things, they have defiled their conscience. They lost a clear vision of value. And in doing so, they ruined themselves. As the Apostle says in 1 Timothy 6 again, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires, which, he says, plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Proverbs 23 says, Don't weary yourself trying to get rich. Why waste your time? For riches can disappear as though they had the wings of a bird. We can defile our conscience and lose the clear vision of godly values and then stray and make shipwreck of our lives. Money is a useful servant, but it is a ruinous slave master. We need to beware lest we be caught by what we chase. There's a final summation statement of a particular of what Jesus taught from verse 24 that I would put this way. Money seeks your allegiance. Jesus personifies money here with this word mammon. Mammon is a word that likely comes from the Aramaic, meaning money or possessions. 
God and mammon, both demand our service. But Jesus says we cannot serve both of them. All of us must choose which master we will serve. A master, by the very definition of the term, means the one who has complete right to control of our lives. Servants are owned. Servants must give allegiance to their master. Jesus calls upon us here to give God our allegiance. But money seeks it. We sing again one of those simple choruses that is common in our day. He is Lord. He is Lord. He is risen from the dead. And he is Lord. And he is. But how we manage our money confirms or denies, at least in part, whether we sing the truth. Some closing thoughts regarding what Jesus says about money. First of all, you should see your money as a stewardship from God. God truly is the owner of your money and mine. He is the master who gives us what we have in our hands. We then are both responsible for how we use it and accountable to him. That's why it is so important for us to have a message like this because it helps prepare us for the judgment seat of Christ. For how we have managed our money will be examined by the Lord. We often think of our money as ours, but in fact it is God's. It is God's. And while you may have a hard time giving away your money, I doubt that you would have a hard time giving away somebody else's. And in fact it is. A second closing thought is this, that you should use your money to lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. That's the best advice I can give you this morning regarding money. By denying the greedy tendency of the human heart to self-indulgence, to a materialistic lifestyle, to overspending, to envy of others, by making a point of giving generously to God's kingdom work in the world, to be rich in good works and ready to share, by looking beyond retirement age, because after all you may never get there, by doing these things, you can lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. You see the light is going out in here, and there is darkness. There's one final closing statement, and it is this. You must ask yourself, whom do I worship? The throne that is in your heart has only one seat. Jesus said there is not room on that throne for God and money. You say, well, if I give my money away, does that guarantee that I will be spiritual? Of course not. You can give without loving God. But friends, you can't love God without giving. 
God wants us to be generous in our giving. The principle in the word is for 10% of giving, of tithing. You say, well, why does God give that as a principle? Because 10 seems to represent the whole. The Ten Commandments often represent the whole law. And when we bring 10% of our increase to the Lord, it represents the whole. It's not that tithing is a great place to stop, but it's a great place to start in our giving to the Lord. God spoke directly to the people of Israel in the book of, uh, how was it pronounced? Malachi? Malachi, there we go, Malachi. And he said, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that now there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Why did God say that? Because his people were robbing him. He says, will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me in tithes and offerings? You see, we cannot love God without giving. There was a woman who met a friend of her father's who whom she had not seen for a number of years. This woman's father was a Christian, a devout Christian, and had great joy in telling his old acquaintance about her dad's trust in Christ and the way that he had faced suffering and trials in his life and even the prospect of death. The father's friend, however, had chosen to live a different kind of life. He gave himself over completely to the earning of money and the hoarding of every cent that he earned. He had become very wealthy, but he didn't have the same glad anticipation of the future as his friend had had. He put it to his daughter in this way, your father can be more optimistic about heaven than I for a very simple reason. He is going to his treasure. I will be leaving mine. Ebenezer Scrooge in Dickens' A Christmas Carol was able to see the error of his life in time. He was able to see the corruption to his own soul brought about by his attitude toward money. It was not too late, and he made the change and died a happy man. Jesus says a lot about money, and he knows this. And we need to know it. That our money represents us. And when we give our money to God, it indicates that we're really giving ourselves to God. All of us. May we do that freely and as generously as grace demands that we should. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will bring this message to our hearts and will deposit it there, resulting in our being able to evaluate our lives as we must as those who will give account. And help us to hear what Jesus says about money.